0: If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Galatians chapter 5. We have been intentionally immersing ourselves in the fruit of the Spirit. Living with this awareness, this is not passivity, this is not just sit in a prayer posture and assume that this will be evidenced or manifest in my life. This requires decisive, willful action. Obviously, we must live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and when doing so, these will be visible. I think all of us probably would agree together, deep down, we are aware that we live in a dark world. I choose that word intentionally because it's a Bible word. You say, well, the sun's out today, it's really bright. No doubt, bright days exist and even good times can happen, but there is a darkness that we are wrestling with. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, speaking to them about armoring up for the spiritual battle, says this in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's evident that we live in a dark world and we are engaged in a spiritual battle against the God, little g, of this world. Underneath the power of His darkness. He's a deceiver, no doubt about it. His days are numbered, that cannot be escaped. But now, here and now, we are battling against spiritual darkness. At times, the spiritual darkness, or the fruits thereof, can even creep into the body of Christ. Can be evidenced within the church. As one wrote, tragically, the very people who are to make Jesus known by their love for each other can be harsh, quarrelsome, impatient, shrill, and even nasty. If there were to be a haven for kindness, if there were to be a safe harbor for gentleness, it should be here in this place. It should be the body of Christ. It should be the church. One wrote, it's only human to respond in kind. But Christ requires of His church what is more than human. And that is to respond in kindness. To respond with gentleness. That should be our hallmark. That should be a distinguishing characteristic of the visible, tangible body of Christ. This church, kindness, gentleness. 75 years thereabouts after the apostle Paul wrote his letter to Titus, there was one who wrote this about Christians. So we're going into ancient history. Here was his assessment of the church in the second century. He said the difference between Christians and the rest of mankind is not a matter of nationality or language or customs. Christians, he said, do not live in separate cities of their own, speak any special dialect, or practice any eccentric way of life. They conform to ordinary local usage in their clothing, diet, and other habits. Nevertheless, they do exhibit some features that are remarkable and even surprising. For instance, he said, even though they obey the prescribed laws, in their own private lives, they transcend the laws. They show love to all men and all men persecute them. They are misunderstood and condemned. They repay curse with blessings and abuse with courtesy. In in fact, the fruit of the Spirit is so evident that the gospel was potent even in a dark world. Has it ever dawned on you that it is not the darkness of this world that is limiting the potency of the gospel, the practicality of the truth of Jesus Christ, but it is rather the dimness of our light? It is rather the fact that we are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit manifesting these fruits. What fruit of the Spirit should be seen? In Galatians chapter 5, as we've been studying, we'll walk through this list. The Apostle Paul says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is. If you are under the dominion of the Holy Spirit, this will be evident in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Gentleness is an interesting word in that list. In fact, if you study it out in the Greek, the word for gentleness is Christos, C H R E S T O S. It's very close to Christos, C H R I S T O S, which is describing Christ. What that demonstrates to us is that kindness, gentleness, is Christ likeness. In fact, that same Greek word is translated kindness often, several places throughout the New Testament. You cannot be Christ-like and not be gentle. As I studied this out, I came under conviction and I also assessed that largely we are failing in this regard. Let me read what an author described this gentleness as. He said, this gentleness is goodness in action. He then went on and said, it's sweetness in disposition. Disposition. He said, it's gentleness in dealing with others, benevolence, kindness, affability. It describes the ability to act for the welfare of those who are taxing your patience. He said, the Holy Spirit removes abrasive qualities from the character of one under his control, which means you should not have abrasive qualities or you're indicating there's carnality. A sweetness of disposition, there should be a gentleness, a kindness that emanates from a Christian. Let's get really practical with it. Yet one wrote this, religion or Christianity makes no one crabby. That writer hasn't met a lot of the Christians that I've met. He hasn't gone to church. Clearly that is not a Baptist, okay? We can assume that. Christianity makes no one crabby and morose and sour. He said it sweetens the temper. It corrects an irritable disposition. It makes the heart kind. It disposes us to make all around us happy as possible. It is true politeness. Gentleness and kindness go hand in hand. Even linguistically in the New Testament, they are intertwined. When one is manifest, the other will be displayed. If I am kind, I am being gentle. If I am gentle, I am being kind. All of this is rooted in the love of God. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If ever there was a way to declare unto the world that we were followers of Jesus Christ, it would be shown in our love for one another. The Apostle Paul, who has already elevated love to the peak position, this is the first, the primary fruit of the Spirit. It's rooted in the love of God as he's describing love in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this in verse 4, Charity, that is love, suffereth long. We've already studied the fruit of the Spirit that is long-suffering and is kind. Long-suffering is indicative of a fuse so long that the bomb never detonates. The fact is, I can be long-suffering and you know nothing is going on. But He doesn't just want us to stop it being long-suffering. He wants us to overtly and actively be kind. Though I can be long-suffering when you tax me. And you not know it's going on. I cannot be kind to you. And you remain ignorant of it. You will sense that kindness. Kindness requires active engagement. It doesn't work from a distance. Kindness is something that must be demonstrated. Kindness Requires involvement. Kindness does not allow for avoidance. This makes us like Christ. First, this is super deep. I know you came here for deep theology. Here's the first thing. God is gentle and kind. All of these fruit of the Spirit are rooted in the nature of God. What we are declaring is when this is manifest, when this is seen in my life, I am emanating, I am showing out God or Christ likeness. In Luke chapter 6, we read something plain and it's stunning. Jesus speaking says this in verse 35, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. Here's what I want you to note. Speaking of God, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Now we've already established we live in a world that is dark. Engaged in spiritual battle with the rulers of darkness. The God, little g of this world, has a limited opportunity. And God views this world under the curse of sin. In fact, the book of Romans tells us that to live in sin puts us at enmity with God. It actually makes us the enemy of God. So we have a world in darkness which in its sinful condition is the enemy of God and yet God, who is just and God, who is holy showers this world with kindness. And the The impetus of Jesus' analogy there is, so you be merciful like your Father is merciful. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the believers and and exhorting Titus on how to lead his church, he says this to him in Titus 3, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle. Showing all meekness unto all men. Now what he has just done there is he is tacking on to one long Greek sentence about how Christians should interact with governmental authority. He has tacked on, be gentle. And then he helps us understand what gentleness in action looks like. Be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Now all is a really inclusive word. It's every kind of. Show every kind of meekness unto every kind of man. Even the ones who are not like you, even the ones who look different than you, even the ones who idealistically do not align with you, even the ones who aren't where you're from, even the ones who hate you, even the ones who curse you, even the ones who consider themselves your enemy, you show out all meekness unto all men. Be kind, be gentle. Now, the Apostle Paul assumes we all have a question on our minds. Why would I ever behave like that towards this world? He clarifies, he says this in Titus 3, 3 4. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but... After that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Why would I ever be gentle to a world that hates me? Why would I ever show all meekness unto all men? Because you once were them. But the kindness of God offered salvation to you. Do you remember being 18? Anyone 18 or 19? I will tell you this. This would be hard to believe. I was a moron at 18. I was adept at moroninity. I was arrogant. I was fool of myself. I was mouthy. You say, I hate to break this to you, not much has changed. (laughs) I had a chip on my shoulder. I was every bit of 18. I listen to people sometimes as they age and they'll fold their arms and they'll condescend and they'll scour and they'll say, this generation of young people. They don't work, they don't understand reality, they don't get real life, they don't know anything and I could say to you what the Bible is saying here in this place, you once were them. There was once a time where they spoke of your generation like that and a little understanding is compelled from the inside out when you remember you once were a moron too. You once had a chip on your shoulder too. You once were adept at moron entity. You were an idiot. You were arrogant and full of yourself and knew nothing at all. Don't forget you once were there. And when the Apostle Paul is telling Titus, exhort people, tell them to be ready unto every good work. Make certain that they're showing out gentleness all kinds of gentleness, all kinds of meekness to all kinds of people. And when they squint their eyes and say to you, why would I act like that? You say, don't forget, you were once there and God was kind to you. Remember that as you navigate your way through life. Do you realize that Jesus speaking in Matthew eleven thirty, 30 said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word easy in that verse is krestos, again translated this time easy. Gentle, kind, easy. What the Bible is saying about God, about Jesus, is He is the embodiment of kindness. He's the embodiment of gentleness. He's the embodiment of ease. All of that personified. God is gentle and kind. When this world was at enmity with them, he showed kindness and gentleness. When He viewed the world turning on Him and rejecting them. Him, He gave to them the way of salvation. He's teaching us something. Now we're going to go deeper. God is gentle and kind. We should be gentle and kind. If God is gentle and kind, we should also be gentle and kind. There's no more straightforward scripture to me than Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing and he says this in verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all. How can I grieve the Holy Spirit? Well here's how. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice and be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Show out kindness. This is comprehensive gentleness, comprehensive kindness. How comprehensive is the gentleness that I am supposed to show out? How comprehensively kind should I be? Well, here's how comprehensive it should be. Bitterness, get rid of it. Make it scarce. Wrath, kick it out Anger and clamor and evil speaking, get rid of all of it with all malice. There's that word again. He starts the list with it, all bitterness, wrath, anger, with all malice. Every kind of bitterness. Even that little bit of a grudge that is painful and yet at the same time is so satisfying to bring up to yourself again. That wrath, that chip on your shoulder, that condescending look, that sneering remark. Get rid of all of it, every kind of it, every bit, every kind of malice and replace it with kindness. That's what he says. The word kindness is an interesting study in and of itself. It's rooted in kin, kin or kindred. In effect, kindness means you treat everybody like they're in your family. Now let me be careful, I've seen some of your families, don't treat them like that. Treat them like they belong to you, treat them like they matter to you, esteem them like they are part of your own flesh and blood, that's what he's saying. If we're honest, we fail miserably at this, sour dispositions, sneering remarks, condescending looks. Anger and wrath, grudges that we hold on to, bitterness and resentment, things that are motivated by maliciousness, words, conversations that we're engaged in, all declaring that we are not gentle, that we are not kind, that we are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says, be ye kind and tender-hearted. Christian gentleness is tender-hearted. You can't have a hard heart and be gentle. You can't have a hard heart and be kind. You must be tender hearted. Our insides must be easy to touch. And I say to you, you can't just decide to be tender hearted. You can't just turn it on and off like a faucet. It's a true deep character quality. If I've got to be gentle, if I have to show this out, how do I walk? In this gentleness. How do I actually practically do it? He's telling us here in Ephesians 4. How to get it done. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But rather manifest his fruit. And and here's how you do that. All. Every bit of bitterness and Wrath and anger and clamor, the shout out and the evil speaking, the gossip and the sneering remark, get rid of all the malice and replace it with kindness and have a tender heart toward other people. And here's how to walk in that gentleness, be forgiving. Even as God who for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, be willing to forgive other people. You will never be kind if you cannot be forgiving. You will never manifest gentleness if you cannot be forgiving because everybody does something to bother you every single day or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Be forgiving. Not only be forgiving, he starts Ephesians chapter 5, and we know that this is a different chapter, but it's the same thought. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all of these bad things and replace it with kindness. The only way to do that successfully and to walk in gentleness is to learn how to forgive and to walk in love. Here's how he starts chapter 5. Be therefore followers of God. That word is mimic, imitate God as dear children, just like a child imitates his father. And walk in love. Even as Christ hath also loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What kind of love did Jesus bestow on us? It was sacrificial. It was selfless. You cannot be selfish and gentle at the same time. They don't mix. Kindness and gentleness are intertwined. Selfishness and gentleness don't mix. How can I be gentle and kind like God is gentle and kind? Be forgiving and walk in love. Now let's get really practical and look at gentleness in the real world. Because by my estimation, the kindness that a believer must show out is always in spite of. In spite of how I'm perceived, in spite of how I'm received, in spite of how I'm understood, in spite of how I'm treated, I must be gentle. I'll give you two simple Bible stories to help you learn what gentleness looks like in the real world. The first is the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was telling this story. And I want you to grasp that as Jesus tells this story, He understands there is shock value to what He is saying. There's a turn in this story that certainly would have assaulted the ears of the hearers of his story. Here's Jesus telling the story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. That's the tender heart and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Jesus is telling this story. This is gentleness in the real world. This is taking it out of some theological statement and making us understand what it would look like for us to live out gentleness. A man left Jerusalem and he went down the hill, as it were, geographically speaking, to Jericho. This was a noted dangerous route to take. Often violent acts were carried out. A whole lot of thieves were along the way. This was a common tale. And Jesus says a man as he traveled on down to Jericho was mugged, robbed, Beaten, stripped, left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest came from Jerusalem. And as he walked up on the scene, he notices the man, but being so careful to be regulatory and pure, crosses by on the other side of the street and moves on down. Likewise, a Levite comes, and in the language, Jesus says, he went over to where the man was, stares at him, takes in the scene, understands what has happened, crosses the street, and moves on. Maybe we shouldn't be too harsh. I mean, it could have been a trap. The thieves could have just been there behind rocks. Maybe he's moving on for safety's sake. But here's the turning point. Here's the shock value. Here's the stunner in the story. Jesus intentionally says, and then a Samaritan came. Understand to the Jew, the Samaritan was no better than a vile dog. To make it caustic. They would have considered the Samaritan a half-breed. He was an outlier in their society. Not welcomed in the temple. This was the lowest of the low. And Jesus makes a hero out of the Samaritan. And here's what He says. This Samaritan who would have been absolutely despised by the priest, hated by the Levite, and indicating that this is a man who is of Jewish descent in the ditch, would have been despised by that man. Instead, he goes over, moved on the inside, takes the man... Binds up his wounds, pours in oil and wine to relieve and clean out the wounds, puts him on his horse or his mule, carries him to the inn while he walks along, places him there, stays the night, leaves in the morning, gives two pence, which scholars tell us is enough for about a month of room and board, and says, if you spend any more than this, I'm good for it when I come back. You say, well, we all know the story of the Good Samaritan. Thanks for boring us for six minutes with that. That's gentleness in the real world. That's what's being asked of us. That's how the Holy Spirit is manifest in your life. Someone who otherwise would reject you. Someone who otherwise would despise you. You, because of your tender-hearted nature, you, because you're under the dominion and rule of the Holy Spirit, are willing to financially, physically put yourself out for the sake of others. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like in the real world. Here's the second story. It is the story of David and Mephibosheth. You don't want to say Mephibosheth in front of a lot of people a lot of times. It's a hard word, Mephibosheth. You say, okay, pastor, who is Mephibosheth? Don't worry, I'll tell you. You knew that. We weren't done yet. David is now king of Israel. David has become king against all human odds, but God has placed him on the throne. David's arch rival in this process is Saul who has tried to kill him, actually chased and hunted David down for his life, causing David to live in caves and holes in the ground. And now David's on the throne. He's made it. It would have been culturally and politically acceptable for David as the king to now find everybody who was in Saul's family and execute them so that no coup attempt would arise to take the throne. He'll handle that from inside his own family, thank you. David could have killed everybody in Saul's family, but I want you to notice something in 2 Samuel 9. Now David's on the throne. Verse 1, and David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, David and Jonathan had a deep relationship. They were dear friends. David looks out on the landscape and he says, Is there anybody... In Saul's house that's left that I can show kindness to. Note he does not say, is there anyone out there who deserves kindness? He says, is there anyone that I can show kindness to? And in 2 Samuel 9, we read this in verse 3. Ziba is now a servant of the king. He's speaking and says unto king David, Jonathan hath yet a son. Jonathan has a son out there, yet... He is lame on his feet. Now, doesn't that sound like a strange thing to throw in there? I mean, I know of one, Mephibosheth, but he's lame in both of his feet. What is being communicated there is this, David, there is one left, but he cannot repay you in any way. David, there is still one out there, but he can do nothing for you in return. He's lame in both of his feet. In verse 5, this is what we read. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. Why would he do that? Because he knows that at any point, David can drop the hammer on him. David can literally execute him on the spot. So as he arrives on the scene, there is fear in his heart. He bows before David, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. Notice the exclamation point. Mephibosheth is trying to send home the message. I am at your service. I submit to you. Please in effect don't kill me. And David said unto him. Fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness. For Jonathan thy father's sake. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said. What is thy servant, that thou shalt look on a dead dog such as I am? Both of these stories have shock value woven into them. When we read the story of the Good Samaritan, we are supposed to be assaulted by this reality. No one shows that kind of kindness. No one would ever do what you're saying, Jesus. There isn't any way that's a true story. We're to be assaulted by this reality. David, whose arch rival is now dead and David could have lowered the boom on every one of his descendants. No way, no human on earth would be this kind to this man who is lame on his feet to actually bring him into the house and place him at your table. And I want you to grasp this. It's possible for the Samaritan to be long-suffering with the man who's wounded in the ditch. He can walk past him and not say anything condescending. He can be patient with him. It would have been possible for David to be very gracious to Mephibosheth and just not kill him. He could have been long suffering from a distance, but kindness isn't at a distance. It's got to be engaged in, got to be carried out. The Samaritan cares for the man. David brings Mephibosheth in, sits him at his table, and continually, every time David enters the banquet hall and sits in his seat, he's looking at Mephibosheth, who by the way could never repay him. And David could have at any time dropped the hammer on him, but he didn't. That's kindness in the real world. That's gentleness in plain sight. That's what's mandated of us within Scripture. That's what's mandated of pastors, servants of the Lord. I'll conclude by simply pointing this out. Paul was writing an inspired list. Of pastoral qualifications. He says this in 2 Timothy 2.24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. But rather be gentle unto all men. The servant of the Lord must not strive, must not argue or fight with others. This is to the servant of the Lord, so we could broaden this out to anybody that wants to serve the Lord. Must not argue, must not fight, he must not strive. Now, I know what works in our minds. Certainly, there's times where the servant of the Lord must strive. There are times where the servant of the Lord must argue and he must fight. I'm not saying you don't stand firm, but you are always gentle, you are always kind, and you never strive. If I said to you, the servant of the Lord must not commit adultery, we wouldn't think to ourselves, well, certainly there's a time where it's allowable. Certainly there's a moment where it's understandable. No, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all every kind of man. This is stunning. This is an amazing mandate from Scripture. One who argues and fights is not serving the Lord no matter what they claim. Argue and fight. They are not under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Someone who is kind and reasonable and considerate and soft and tender. They are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Argumentative and, and striving, not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Get this, again, as the Apostle Paul said, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Gentle. You say, now hold on, pastor. I grew up in an era of fire and brimstone. I will tell you, we've always got to have our fists balled up. We've always got to have the sword of the Spirit ready, and we've got to just take people down. We've got to be contending for the faith, which was once delivered, fighting and striving on all fronts. All of that firm standing on truth can be done with gentleness and kindness. And aren't you glad that God didn't go all fire and brimstone on you while you were still in your sins and you used to be in your sins and now you're a believer indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Show out gentleness and kindness. I think we've gotten too far past this. We silently in our own bubbles work our way through this world not realizing we have to overtly be kind and gentle to those that we are around. Not just the ones that we see as above us. Not just the ones that we see like us. But the ones who otherwise would reject and despise us. The ones who ideologically are averse to us. We're gentle and kind. This seems like one of the most stunning mandates within Scripture. Because it goes against every one of our preconceived notions. But that's true ministry. God's kind. His Spirit indwells every believer. He's constantly urging you to forgive those who have hurt you. Forgive those who have taken advantage of you. Forgive those who have rejected you. Look deeper than your mistreatment and say, I must be gentle and kind. Don't dwell on how you have been mistreated or hurt. Look deeper and be gentle and be kind. Look at a world who rejects you and be gentle and kind. This should be a haven for kindness, a safe harbor for gentleness. And yet too often it's not. The darkness of this world which can be invaded by the light of the gospel and people who love as Christ love and are gentle and kind as Christ is give potency and power to a gospel message. I don't think it's the darkness of the world. I think it's the dimness of our light. Are you gentle? Would you please just for a moment bow your head with me?